0: I'm back. I was was just saying, like, I think I need a costume change for this. But anyway, I just wanted to let you know that we are having a guest speaker today. He's brought you an amazing word to share with you guys. Um, Him and his wife had led two semesters of Thrive Tribes, which is our small groups around here that we host in um, our members' homes. So I'd love to introduce to you Mr. Jeff Stewart. Everyone give him a round of applause. So I learned a lesson from the first service. I'm going to begin this service with prayer. We're going to take authority in Jesus' name. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you, your children, united, ready to hear what you have to teach. We ask you, set your angels around this building, within this room. Protect our minds and our hearts as we learn And we declare that we are mentally alert and ready to learn. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And for those of you who have to go through this a second time, my apologies. (laughs) So when I was 19 years old, I received a prophecy, an amazing, life-changing prophecy. This was like a life-view prophecy. Um. The man singled me out from a group of, you know, hundreds of people. I don't actually remember how many were there, and began to lay out a general plan of my life. And I was 19. I just turned 51, and some of those things have come to pass. But several months after I turned nine, or after I received that prophecy, I was supposed to go into the army. And I was, uh, the doctors wouldn't permit me to go in because of a surgery I had just had and they didn't feel like it was going to heal. And so I ended up having to go back home uh, with no real purpose. But I always felt like there was some purpose. But just months after that prophecy, I began to feel the effects of spiritual warfare. and it was devastating and generally what happened was that I began to believe the lie that the enemy was telling me of who I am I have referred to it as being like a caricature that he has drawn and he has focused my eyes on that caricature rather than me keeping my eyes on the truth of who jesus says i am and it's it's really easy to succumb to that lie because you see it in other people's faces and you hear it in their voices worthless loser never going to really mount anything why do you bother just do what you need to get by keep your head down and so then you begin to cultivate that idea that that lie well this must be who i am and it was like i said very devastating i didn't actually put it together until just a little while ago that that prophecy and then the direct results of the spiritual warfare were actually tied together because the enemy has spent the last 30 years trying to keep me suppressed by telling me that i am not who god says i am and in the first service i related a story i kept it anonymous until the end but it was very clearly the story of myself where I had come to a point that it was more of a sudden realization. It wasn't necessarily a progress of, you know, what well, I'm thinking about this. It's just a sudden realization that no hope ever existed. I was hopeless. Life was hopeless. God was apparently dealing with bigger issues and so i attempted suicide i mean i had reached a really dark point in my life but what happened was as i became a cutter because the inner turmoil was relieved through the cutting i wanted to die but i just couldn't take that step i couldn't go that far well of course now i know that was the holy spirit but the things that i had to go through i mean guys it's like this 32-year history all the way up to this point right here where now I'm talking to you guys about this. Because this is spiritual warfare. And I'm not saying that mental illness doesn't exist. I'm not saying that therapy and the medication don't help. But what I am saying in my case, it was a lie that I adopted and began to live out. I was given the diagnosis of being effective bipolar disorder. And that was my label. You know, I was in and out of several mental hospitals, and that was, that was my label. That was my identity. That was what I've come to call my perception of self, ego. That when I saw myself, I saw this broken travesty of a man who would never really do anything with his life or go anywhere. You know, it, it took me almost... <laughs> I'm a little ashamed to say this, but it, because of my depression, it took me nearly 20 years to earn my bachelor's degree. You know, it, toward the end, though, I was able to finally pull myself together because of my wife and, and God and, and earn that bachelor's degree. And it attacked again during my uh, seminary training. You know, it just depression when it hits you. When it hits me, I bottom out. And there is no hope. Well, that's what I believed until I began really to look into identity. And that's what this is about. So broadly speaking, the topic is spiritual warfare, but I need you to understand that that is too broad a topic. The theme, rather, is self-perception, identity. And what is that? And where do we get it? How do we cultivate that? Because it's very important that you understand who you are who you are in Christ, because without that, without understanding that, then the enemy will come in and interpret who you are for you. And believe me, it's going to be away from your destiny. It will be away from what God has for you. But not only that, that uniqueness that God has given to you, that is you, that cannot be taught that cannot be studied, no one can impart that to you, that uniqueness will fail to flourish. You will fail to become, become who God has called you to be. That's a hard thing. But let me get into this. If you will, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Hold on pie. Ephesians 6.11. Ephesians <laughs> 6.11. Come on, y'all. Guys, I didn't want to teach on this because anytime anyone talks about spiritual warfare, it's Ephesians chapter 6, and it's almost, you know, stereotypical. But it's like, yeah, I wanted to bring something new to the conversation, but I thought, what if I just read this because I... T- the Holy Spirit kept bringing me back to this. Now I thought, well, I can bring something fresh to this. And I'm gonna tell you something that the, the armor of God includes a sword and that the sword is described as the word of God. So without your sword, really, what do you do? What do you have? Because what I'm about to teach you is that without the sword, you can't fulfill what God needs you to do. You cannot wrestle against your enemy without your sword. So let's go into it. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God. So the emphasis is on whole, right? The Greek word panoply, which is the whole thing, all of it. So you want to put on the whole armor of God. Your translation might read, clothe yourself. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's a wily rascal. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, etc., etc. The verses, or rather the words that I'm going to focus on are right there in verse 12. But I want you to ask yourself, what is the for, therefore? When Paul writes, for we wrestle not, what's the for, therefore? Why did he write for? Well, it's another word for because. So he's, he's answering a question. Why should we put on the whole armor of God? See, when you're reading it, you need to be asking yourself some questions. Okay, you need to take the mind of a student into the scriptures. So if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. So some of you are gonna walk away with their heads ringing like a bell clapper because I'm gonna teach. But I, I told the Lord I am loath to do this because I know you guys are probably not wanting to go this deep or this, you know, this far into it, but I promise it, it'll only be just a few minutes. It'll be, it'll be academic. It'll be a little heavy, and then we'll, we'll pull away, and I'll start trying to bring it into more of the application aspect of it. But I don't know of any other way to teach you guys what Paul is emphasizing unless I go into the academic. And besides, it's just my nature. Come on, right? So he's answering the question, why do we put on the armor of God or the whole armor of God? Because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is Paul's euphemism for frail dependent humanity. That's not our fight. Our fight rather is with the spiritual, the wickedness, this present darkness. That is our fight. So why do we put on the whole armor of God? Because we're not fighting each other. This is not a flesh and blood fight. If it were, we would put on actual armor, take each other out. (laughs) Or rather, it's spiritual. And that's why Paul describes spiritual armor. But he includes a weapon. So, I got, I don't know. I did it in the first one, so you guys are gonna have to just bear with me on this one, okay? Okay. For we wrestle not against, in the Greek, it is chateuk estin chemin he pale pras. Because of that grammatical structure, uh, bear with me, the grammatical structure of hemin, which is we, is in the dative, which means that it's the indirect object of the verb, And just in case you don't remember from high school grammar, I give you the book. You is the indirect object of the verb. The direct object of the verb would be the book because it receives direct action of the verb, right? I give, give is the verb, I give the book to you. If I can put the word to before it, then that means it's the indirect object. So I give you the book. How do I know it's indirect? Because I can say I give to you the book. So you indirectly receive the action of the book. That's how this is in here. For we wrestle not against. We is in the dative, which means it's receiving the action indirectly. The direct object of this verb would be wrestle. But where's the verb? Your translation may actually have it as "is," but because it's in the dative, it would actually be "have." It's in the Greek. "esteem" means "have." It's a to be verb. It can be "is" or "have." And it's not necessarily wrong to have it as "It is not our struggle." But because of the dative, it's better read, for it was not given to us. We have not. A wrestling because the Greek reads, which is for not we, for not have we a wrestling against. So it's not been given to us through the wrestling to fight flesh and blood, rather, the fight that has been given to us is for the spiritual. So, you guys okay, you still with me? Because that's pretty much the, the deep of the academic right there. But I wanted you to understand that what Paul wrote uh, grammatically is this idea that it's not our fight with each other or with the world out there. And I've come against you know a couple of atheists that you know you just want to crush a can against their head, but they're not my enemy. They're just a marionette, right? They're just being played. And when you when you bite, you know, you take that anger, and you start slamming back, then now you're on the string. You're not operating out of love. Our fight. Put on the armor of God, for we were made with the spirit of love. And everything that we say as Christians, everything that we do, it must proceed from love and it must return back to love and that word love that we are made with is agape you guys know the word agape right i mean that is a sacrificial love that is the highest level of that is the love that god showed us when he gave jesus christ for god so loved the world so agape the world it's that sacrificial love i will give everything i have just to bring you back into reconciliation with me That's the love that we were made with. So we wrestle not for it. We have not a struggle with the enemy, against. But I want to talk about the word wrestle real quick. So the word is hepale, which is actually translated wrestling, a wrestling. And it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And Paul borrowed it from an Olympic event where the men get all oily, greasy, and they wrestle each other and they they oil themselves down so that it makes it harder to grip but the 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 point of it is to pin your opponent down and put your hand on his neck that's the image that paul is uh bringing here to this but that is not what you're to take away with it because a lot of scholars have battled the idea well how can you wrestle with armor on well guys it was just a metaphor an image and the image is one of closeness. So that when Paul says our struggle or our, our uh, fight or wrestling, whatever your translation might read, is face-to-face. Because, I mean, you've seen wrestling matches. I mean, it's probably the most intimate, you know, that one would ever want to be with another man covered in oil. You know, it, it is face-to-face. <laughs> you know, it's... <clears throat> you're you're slapping sweat right you're swapping sweat with each other it it is unpleasant image but that's the image that paul wants us to take that the enemy is in our face this is an eyeball to eyeball fight okay and that's why he tells us you must put on the whole armor the panoply you have to take up every bit of the armor that god has provided for us i'm not going to get into that but what I do want you to understand is that the, the final word that I'm going to mention is the last word, pros. Normally, that word would be translated as to or unto, like the epistle of Paul to the, to the Ephesians. To would be pros, right? Well, in this case, because it's paired with an aggressive action word like "pale," which is wrestling, wrestling against, or it's some it's wrestling to or unto or toward. No, it's against, because when it's paired with that word of violence it takes on a connotation of hostility or aggression so that what paul is saying is don't just stand here and wait for them to come you know against is you dig in and you're going after them it's an aggressive fight we are to take the fight to the enemy like i just did when i prayed the first session i didn't pray There was popping and things going on and not doing that taking authority all right not my authority it's not in me it's in Christ Jesus he has given me the authority by virtue of the fact that I am covered in his blood would anybody disagree because spiritual warfare is real it is very real because I experienced it as a young man without even realizing that's what I was going through And for most of my life, not knowing who I am, because I want to bring this down to something that I think that you guys might be able to relate to, might be able to understand, because like I said, spiritual warfare is one of those really broad topics that is almost ethereal. It's like, well, we can sit and discuss it in theory, but what about the practicality? What does this look like in my life? Well, I know what it looks like in my life, so that's what I'm gonna give you guys. And maybe then from that, you can extrapolate. What does it look like in your life? What have you been struggling through? Identity is going to be the only way the enemy can put me in a hospital, right? If he doesn't want me here on stage, or platform rather, speaking to you guys, then he's gonna take me out by getting me to doubt myself. And believe me, that is my Achilles tendon. That will take me down quick. Who am I? But unfortunately for him, unfortunately fortunately for me, I have begun to step back and realize, oh, wait, there's this mighty God behind me. But the mighty God isn't just behind me. He's in me and working through me. And what if I learned from all of that? What I've learned is that there is this unique person that was in chrysalis or embryonic, until I came to Christ Jesus and that's when it began to burgeon, to flourish. So that it's no longer, oh this is Jeff, no this is Jeff in Christ. I am Jeff in Christ, Christ in me. Our identities are bound up together because that's what Paul teaches us. For we live by the faith of the Son of God, right? It's his life in us by which we live. It's no longer the lies that the enemy has given me so that I'm no longer cultivating that particular lie. So let's go to 1 Peter 1.13, because I want to show you just real quick that the enemy can take warfare to the mind. And I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, I don't want to tell you guys that the mind is the only place that spiritual warfare takes because it can take place, I imagine, in a number of ways, a variety of, you know, people have a variety of responses. But for me, it's here. This is where the enemy attacks me. He gets me to take my focus off of the truth and onto his lies Yea, hath he said. That's what he spoke to to Eve, right? He gets you to question what God really said. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to open up wiggle room. Is it it really just that? Can you honestly say to yourself that God has forgiven you for those things that you did? Can you honestly say that God loves you? So what I did is I, I, well, no, I guess God doesn't love me. Well, that's, man, that knocks me down pretty far. But then, you know, because the Holy Spirit never gives up, He began to turn that around and say, okay, well, let's say that the enemy's issued a challenge. Do I really love you or not? Prove me. So then, instead of just wallowing in this belief that God does not love me, I began to search that out. And as I began to search that out, I began to see more of the heart of my Father. And I began to recognize that in me. So I began to know who I am by knowing who God is. And that was only through Scripture, prayer, speaking with other believers who were more mature than I am. But almost entirely was it Scripture. And at the beginning, I was skeptical because I didn't know how I could see my true self in the Word. The Word being thousands of years old. The word being, you know, one of those what I consider to be like a a broad net, you know, you just you're casting it out there, for God so loved the world. Yeah, but what about me? It's like, well, yeah, I mean it's you know, you're in that too, you know. So yeah, I know, but I want to know, does he love me? How do I know that he loves me? Me specifically. So as I began to research and read deeper into the word, you know, and James tells us that the Bible is like a mirror. You know, we can we can look into it, we can see ourselves. And what's interesting is that it's not something that takes place necessarily in the intellect, and it can, but without that energizing of the Holy Spirit, it really just amounts to a bunch of words and information, right? I mean, have you ever just come away feeling like all you did was just cram your intellect, more information, but it didn't settle? Settle into the heart, and the Holy Spirit does that. He takes that, and he began unlocking some of the verses and helping me to see, this is you. This is you. So that I could say with Paul, for in him I live and move and have my being. And being is transcendent. It is not the same as existence because existence is space and time occupation. This is being, my being, my existence. And I began to realize that there was some time in eternity past before I was created, that God actually thought about me, saying, okay, I need to make this man like this, and I'm going to give him these characteristics, and then I'm going to give him a whole lot of difficulties, trials to go through, so that it will bring these characteristics out in him, because it's the only way he will be able to minister to that set of people who need to hear what he has gone through and what he can say, because he will speak it in truth, my truth, not his, Thank you. 1 Peter 1.13, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. All these funny little metaphors, right? Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So gird up the loins of your mind. I had thought at first that this was taking the, the sword because the loins are like this, this, this vulnerable area here and you can you can take a, you know some leather to gird this area so that it's not so easy for the enemy to you know to stab gut you whatever and and I was thinking well you know in the medieval times when you were knighted you were girded with the sword of knighthood and I thought no this isn't what uh, Peter is talking about he's not describing warfare here what Peter is describing here is how the men used to take their skirts <laughs> and they would tie it up. That way their legs were free so they could run or fight or do hard labor if they needed to. Basically what that means is, is what I come to understand, is that it means to be mentally prepared because it goes on to say to be sober, right? And a couple of verses over, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So if you are not mentally prepared, if you have not girded up the loins of your mind ready to either take the defensive but rather preferably the offensive which i'll get back to if you are not sober vigilant sober doesn't mean like um, not inebriated it's sober is is having control of your mind having control of your thoughts taking captive those thoughts for jesus christ so that you are vigilant and you are aware but I want to suggest that spiritual warfare is a little bit more than just being aware of the enemy's tactics. If you will, turn with me to Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter 4: 23. <laughs> <laughs> This was a key, actually 20 through 27 are like key verses for me. I have them memorized, and I I say them to myself every day. These are are very important to me, and especially in uh, discovering my identity, self-perception rather. It's not necessarily like, I mean, the identity that I have is what God has given me. But it's my perception of that. That's where the enemy comes in. He, he skewers my perception. You know, it's like when it's raining and you're driving. You look out the window. You know, the the rain is distorting the image, but you know that that's not what trees and other cars look like, because you can roll your window down and you can see more clearly. But spiritually, mentally speaking, you can get that warped, distorted view of who you are, and not really understand that this is not who you are. That's a perception, and it's a false perception. Rather, the, your identity is here in Christ Jesus. But, verse 23 of chapter four, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence. So in the Hebrew, it's a it's a compound, it's a double. It's a, it, it, it reads, guard above all guarding. Keep thy heart above all guarding. And the reason being is because the heart and in the Greek the Hebrew and in the English represent the inner being right it's the condition it's it's your your morals it's your psychology it's who you are but it's also the integrity it's that that unique characteristic or characteristics that God has placed in you and these are the things that you need to keep but I ask myself well if I don't know who I am if I don't know the heart of Jeff, then how can I keep that? How am I able to do that? Well, keep is a word that God used when he spoke to Adam. And he told them to, Adam and Eve, he told them to keep the garden. And, and in the Hebrew, the keep means three different things. It three, three ideas, is to preserve, to guard, and to cultivate so that you're supposed to Be vigilant, you guard against anything coming in, and you're to preserve what is there, but you are also to cultivate what is given to you. And that which God has given you, that uniqueness, is entirely up to you to cultivate. And it's done in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. It's a part of our sanctification process and it's unique to born again christians because i do not believe that people who are not born again people that are unregenerated are ever going to be able to tap into that characteristic that god has given them it's not going to be possible for one thing the enemy is going to push them down and they don't have faith they don't have god's word to stand on but once you do begin to become aware and it is a process it's a becoming It's like a light slowly coming on, like one of those old fluorescent lights that flickers and makes the noise before it comes full beam. And that's what it can be like sometimes when you begin to realize, wait, I do have identity. Where did that come from? Because at some point, God was daydreaming about me and about each of you. At some point, he was thinking, I would like to make a person like that. And I'm going to put this inside of them. And that that uniqueness, that characteristic is going to have to be drawn out through trials, through adversity. Everything that we have gone through, if you are a regenerated, born again Christian, and I hate to be redundant, but I'm just trying to drive the point home, then you are going through trials that have meaning. It's all connected and it all goes back to the Father, regardless of how difficult, how deep, and how dark it may go. It all goes back to the Father because he's drawing that uniqueness of you out. I think perhaps I can start bringing this down a little bit to a close i think that i think that i've i think i've made my point but what i what i want to close with is um something that i read in an essay by ralph waldo emerson and he's a 19th century uh, essayist lecturer philosopher um some of you may have heard of of his essay you may have had to to read it in high school self-reliance and you can take that essay any way you want you know it the interpretation is yours it's there um, one thing that i didn't mention in the first service is the enemy doesn't just attack my identity the enemy also calls me from the rest of the pack and isolates me and that's very easy to do because i am by nature a loner i am an isolationist i mean I it's like i wanna I want to see people but I don't want to have to be involved, I don't want to interact because of the, the, the pain, the difficulties that I've gone through in my life. So it's much easier for me to be with just myself, you know, to shut the door, close the blinds, and I'm in my world. I listen to the music I want to listen to, I read the books I want to read, and I feel no guilt and condemnation, right? But then you, you step out and all of a sudden you're being judged, you're not good enough, I hate your hair. I don't like your music. And it's it's so much noise. And it's so easy to just want to isolate yourself. But listen to me. As a card-carrying member of the isolationist group, you cannot stay there. All right? If you need to just, like, defragment, you know, get in there, shut the door. Oh, okay, Holy Spirit, give me some more. Okay. All right, let's go. Second round. You can't stay there because that's what the enemy wants. When the wolves want to take some meat from a herd, what do they do? They harry it until they get one, an old one, a weak one, or just pull the one away. The wolves can't actually take down the entire herd, but they call that one away. And if you're like me, you're gonna pull away. And when you do pull away, it's gonna be harder to re-engage. And what good is all of that that I went through if I'm shutting the door against the world? That's not my purpose. My destiny is to teach God's truths to you. So I can't lock it. I can't hide away. But also what happens when you are isolated is you begin to believe that everything that you think is of great value and that it's truth. It's a danger zone in there. So if you need to isolate, make it quick, make it recuperative, then get back into it. Get back into it. Got to plug in. And that is so hard for me to say because I feel like a hypocrite. It's like, yeah, I'm going to tell them that. But yeah, no, I'm trying. I really am. But what I want you guys to get is that what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said, I will so trust that what is deep is holy. I will so trust that what is deep is holy. So I've interpreted this for you. It's my own interpretation. It doesn't have to necessarily be correct. But that which is the essence of the self, the heart as the Hebrew and the Greek and even in the English, is that which God taught us, put into us, that which makes each person unique. This is that what is deep is holy. It is holy because it was a gift from God. It is deep because it is the essence of who you are. You are who you are by the grace of God and not by imitation or study. No matter who you try to imitate, that is not who you are. No matter how you've tried to study to be one way, that is not who you are. There is yet a uniqueness in you. And I used the example in the the last service is that no one could have taught Shakespeare to be Shakespeare. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Shakespeare-ness of Shakespeare was a unique gift of God, whether he acknowledged that or not. That's why 500 years later, we're still reading his poetry and plays. There was this uniqueness that he tapped into. (laughs) That which is deep is the unique self taught of God, wholly your own self, the essential self for which you act, from which you act, trusting and being aware of that which God put in you, that which is holy, as that which cannot be learned or taught. As the birds sing because the voice God gave them. No bird had to be taught. That voice that they have is what God gave them, just as what you have. So let me end with this. I begin in Christ. I live in and by Christ. I end in Christ. I live, I begin in Christ. I live in and by Christ. And I end in Christ. So I will pray real quickly. And we will have a group down here. The altar for you if there are anyone if there's anyone here that needs prayer but let me just pray real quick father i ask that what has been taught here has been well received i pray father that all the superfluous words and ideas will be just cast aside and the truth the 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 nugget of what you're wanting each one here to take home will sink into their hearts and begin to grow i pray this in jesus name amen